Welcome to the Meeple Syrup After Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 59, Is Good Good Enough? And we just had a wonderful discussion with Eduardo Baraf and Jim Pinto, and uh, Jim humored us with uh, staying with us for the after show. Uh, we didn't put him through enough punishment yet, so uh, we haven't scared him away. So we're thankful that he's here with us. We're going to continue the conversation and then see wherever it might go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I got to... I gotta ask, uh, Sen, what, you know, we we often during the show try to focus on our guests, but uh, I know you have a lot to say on this topic as well. I'm curious, for you, how do you know when one of your games is good enough to show a publisher? I know that's a different question, but how do you discern when a game's good enough to pitch? Oh, I think I've talked about this a lot, but I can mention it again. Um, I... I want if people are telling stories about the game, right? If oh. if people have played the game enough and liked it enough that they're telling other people about the game, but also reliving the meta. Yeah. Um, because for me, a game experience is nothing until there's a meta, when somebody is actually saying, you know, what, next time I'm going to do this, and mm-hmm. oh man, when this happened, I didn't know it was oh, until I rolled the dice and wow, boom. And so if people are telling stories like that about my game, I know that we're onto something good. Um, And so while playtesting with designers is great, uh, sometimes they don't get to that level of engagement with the game. Well, they they often don't allow themselves. Right, because they're really really dissociated from it from an analytical point of view. So that's why I like it when, you know, quote-unquote real players play the game and can give that kind of not even feedback, just their experience, and I watch that experience unfold, and when people do that, then I know that we've got something good. Yep. I, I typically don't like playing games with designers, to be honest. Uh, not my. I don't like playing my games with designers. Yeah, no, I remember you mentioned that, Jim. Explain, yeah. explain why. I think... I, I'll use the James Ernest as an example. Right, James is really good at what James does. Yep. But James, James and I do not design anything alike. Right. And so... James's feedback on what I'm doing right and wrong, yes, uh, is probably not going to be useful to me. And no, it's going to constantly make it more of a James kind of game. Yeah, and I'm probably going to get defensive about it, to be honest. And I don't like being there. I don't like that interaction when it happens. Right. And so I I avoid it. Uh, we were sitting down with I forget his name, Craig. Yep. Um, when we sat down and played that one board game when you were out yep. here. Yep. Um, and he said, "Oh, why don't you come to this thing?" And in the back of my head, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was just thinking, you know. I actually don't. I love designers, and I have a lot of friends when, that, that are in the industry, and I see them when I'm at Gen Con. But I do not like talking design with them because we just come from two different perspectives on on what a game should be. Right. Uh, well, I, I mean, maybe I would go maybe uh, kind of more Sen's direction. Obviously, I've been influenced uh, by Sen on this, but I do. I I think even Sen mentioned it there. There are there is almost a different type of experience and feedback loop that you're getting from from a non-designer that's obviously very important. Yeah. One thing that I'm learning when when I'm playtesting with designers is how to hear them. I mean, even early on, yes. um, as a designer, I, I automatically put too much weight into, you know, oh, well, you're a successful designer, so I should just do what you say. But we, as I learn and as I have, you know, some really exceptional... Um, feedback from designers, especially for me, I'm, I'm surrounded by some really great designers that um, try to think through, wait, is this feedback for your game or is this feedback, you know, trying to make it into my game? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think when you find some good people and they're really trying to help your game, um, there are there is still some really useful questions that that uh, can happen. I mean, even uh, one thing that I thought was really fun, and I, I had mentioned it uh, on the early show, I played a prototype called Soul um, from a new designer. I looked it up during the in-between time. The designer is uh, Ryan Spangler, and actually he's designing it with his brother, Sean Spangler. New designers, but um, what was interesting was that they were open to my feedback, but you know, I was also really cautious that, you know, I don't want to sway them too much because he's a new designer. So, you know, there's a part of me that there's a responsibility of saying, here's some things to look at, but don't lose your game. You know, like you, right. you explore, explore the problem and see how you would answer those problems. So <laughs> I, I, I think that's part of it. What I do when somebody's in that situation showing me their game and I'm giving feedback and I, I, I hope I give good feedback. I really do. I would hate to be that guy that gives people bad feedback. But I try to look at every angle. And one of the things that I say is, if I were to take this game away from you right now and develop it, here are the things that I as the developer would do to get this to market. Um, And I I always try to make it clear to them that this is what I would do. That that this is their game and you need to do what's going to make you happy. But if you want this thing to be... Um, I don't want to say successful. That's a horrible no, thing to but say. Maybe if you want this thing accessible. to get to right, if you want this thing to be more accessible, if you want it to get to market, yep. these are the changes that you should make. And the best people actually to sit down and and do that with are people that are UX designers, right? Mm-hmm. That are they look at a product or a, a game or a finished anything in a much different way. Yeah. than a consumer would. And so my buddy Stuart Mulder, who you didn't get to meet when you were up here, Daryl, but he games with uh, Suze and I a lot. Actually, I He's, think I did meet him. Did you get to meet him? Maybe at Sasquatch. I met a Stuart. Maybe. He was probably there. Stuart's a great guy to give a rule book to or whatever because yeah. he really does try to look at it from the LCG point of view. He's not LCG, but he tries right. to look at it from an LCG point of view and break it down. Does this pass the dummy test? Right. Um yeah, I think we're, we're like that um, with one of our, our collaborators, Josh Capel, a good graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same thing. Like, if, if we pass something by him, we know that once we get it back, it's going to change, but for the better. Yep. And I think that's part of it as well as you know, trusting the people who you get feedback from. Um, and so, and, and it is that that personality thing as well, like you're saying, Jim. Um, so, I mean, Daryl and I have obviously met James, and and uh, I, I I can say that I'm not sure if I would appreciate the feedback he gave me either in, in certain ways, right? Uh, because it's James, and he's a great guy. He's I love his designs. I, I you know I think I fanboyed out a little bit when I first met him, but um, I can I can see the kind of relationship that could possibly happen if it was in a, you know, a feedback sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, and that's, you know, a lot of people say grow a thick skin when you get into design because you're going to get feedback that you don't like. And I'm with you, Jim, that I would rather not be the person to try to pierce that thick skin on purpose. Right. I mean, right. it might, I but see, that's, see, that's I'm maybe really a, I'm maybe a glutton for punishment then because I, as much as I wouldn't, I would love that. I mean, a part of me, and uh, this has come up on previous shows uh, with Sen and I, but, like, for instance, like, I love 
arguing. Oh, he loves arguing. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I just love it. So someone like James, I know I could get an, a, a worthwhile argument. And probably from the argument, I'll glean more from. Um, he yeah, might yeah. not like it, but that's where like I would probably get more out of that. I learned so much during debate because people really... I think people are usually very passive about how they talk until yep. they're defending their point of view. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're getting the real meat out of somebody, and you mm -hmm. learn so much then. Um, I I have a story to tell about the Tempest line when I was working on it back at Asshat. Um, I designed four board games in a short period of time, and yep. there were CCG players at that company and CCG designers and, and know-it-alls, essentially know-it-alls, mm -hmm. who all wanted to thumbprint what I was doing instead of looking at what it was that I was doing and trying to figure out if their thumbprint actually met yeah. fit the whole gestalt of the game, right? Yeah. And as soon as uh, Dominari was out of my hands and they had it, they removed three core rules from the game and essentially removed two paths to victory by doing it. Um, which it was a horrible decision on their part, and the cards are ugly and hard to read, and there's so many bad decisions that were made that I wasn't in charge of anymore, and now my name's on it, and people aren't getting the experience out of it that I intended for them to get. Yep. And as a designer, I just have to... I mean, I can be bitter about it, and I and I am, since I love that game so much, um, but I just have to eventually just step aside and say, well, that's what they did with the product, and yep. so be it. But that, I've been... That's a danger with them instead of why you know you control something like 100 AD. Right, and the irony is, when I was the developer of Thunderstone, I had the exact opposite um, uh, experience in that the changes I was trying to make to it to make it fun for me, I wasn't allowed to make those changes um, to the game, and so the end result is is it's not it's not really my favorite, and I don't like deck builders anyway. We talked about this when you were down. Yeah, but um, yeah, we bond game, we bonded, Sam. <laughs> okay, that's, that's good. Jim bonded on our our, our anti deck building love, and then yeah. Jim taught me Star Realms, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Star Realms is is satisfying. Yeah, um, that, and I like I like what you're talking about in terms of satisfaction. Not that it should be our end goal, but it should be part of it, right? Um, and when Eduardo was talking about the the package and you know the whole product, and you as well, that's that's sort of where. You know, when we pitch to a publisher, we do try to pitch a whole product, idea, concept, not just the game. We try For to sure. talk about this is what it could look like, this yeah. is what the experience would be, um, it's more than just the game, because <coughs> what sells now, and <coughs> really what we're trying to, to craft more than just a game is an experience of the playing of a game, yep. I think. Um, a game by itself is great and fun. Uh, bits by itself without rules is not a game, but then a game without players playing it is that a game? You know, it's like tree in the forest without. Mm -hmm. You know, does anybody hear it if it falls? So if nobody's playing this game, if nobody's getting a good experience out of it, is it still a game? Um, how, how many people is nobody? Right. That's a great. That's a great point, Sen. But if you make a game and one person thinks it's the greatest thing you ever made, was that enough? I don't know. What do you think? For me, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is a funny, I have fifty fans, is, so I'm happy for one of if one of them's happy. <laughs> well, so this is this is the interesting thing about the question too is I think to myself, so what kind of designer do I want to be? Like, am I do I want to be the type of designer that makes 
games that are lo- maybe loved by a few or or experienced by many. Uh, I, I had the wonderful experience at uh, at Sasquatch of ironically being probably surrounded by the four the only four people that have played my game, and <laughs> in the world it felt like it. You know, yeah. like all of a sudden, like it was really funny. But uh, I was standing, and there was a couple people from uh, from Portland, a couple people from Seattle, and a couple people from Texas. I was just chatting to them, and then all of a sudden someone goes, oh, are you the Daryl? And I was like, I'm a Daryl. <laughs> the Daryl? And then they're like, the one that made Walled City. And everyone all of a sudden got very happy, and I was like, wow, uh, you're the only people that bought my game. Thank you. And, and yep. yet at that time, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is this is why I made the game. You know, like this is I'm thankful that these people appreciated it from all over the map that all of a sudden got the experience. It was funny hearing them tell me what they think the game's all about, and I was like, yeah, that's what I was going for. Like, it was actually like, oh, it actually translated, um, because sometimes you just kind of listen to the critics and you forget that you know some people actually got the experience you were trying to give. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought to myself, yeah, like that's... You know, that was a really refreshing moment of just kind of like, that's what I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but it's really tempting to fall into making games that lots of people will experience and not necessarily a few people will love. Yeah. I think if we I think you know it would be a great a great panel. Daryl? Yeah. Jim and Eric. Eric Lang? Lang. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. We'll set Lang that up. And Lang and Eric are good friends. Yeah, yeah. we'll set that up. Because that would be pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, Eric sure. has this theory, you know, we've talked about it before. Never when Eric's on for some reason, but Eric talks about the rock star, the artist, and the yeah. entertainer, and what do you want to be? And um, Daryl, what do you want to be? When you I don't know. I'm still, I'm still a little bit figuring it out, but it was a very satisfying moment to be kind of the artist there. So that was a, a moment of feeling a little bit like an artist and going, okay, I like what I crafted and and made, and I'm proud of that. I, I still. I'm still wrestling, and this year is all about me kind of wrestling with what, where is my fit in the industry. So I'm still leaving myself open to that question. Mm-hmm. And Jim, where is your fit in the industry specifically? I think, I think now I'm an artist. Uh, when I showed up, I probably wanted to be a rock star. Um, I, I think I... Having my name printed the very first time it was on a, a cover was pretty pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I don't care anymore. We talked about that the first time it was on the on the mm-hmm. air. I mean, I just don't care anymore if my name appears in print. Um, I just want to make stuff. Um, yep. But when I, I think the reason that that love of being a rock star faded was the amount of nonsense you have to put up with to be in the limelight. And I saw the people going after it, and I didn't want to be anything like them. Right? Yep. I wanted to be recognized, but I didn't want to be sure. a personality. No, no, and an artist still wants to be appreciated. I think an artist still wants to be appreciated and respected. It's just different than a rock star. A rock star is, you know, getting all the limelight. Yeah, I would, I got to agree with you there. This is going to sound really shallow. I would love to be respected. I really would. But I think, again, we're talking about work. We're talking about I have to present a different persona that's not me, right? And I have to deal with... 
I have to deal with personalities. We live in. We like you for who you are. So I I appreciate that. But that's. I think once you once you decide that you want to be respected or you demand respect. Right, demand's different. Yeah, yeah, I hear. Yeah, you you start you start building a barrier between you and others. Yes. That I I think is was is unnatural for me. I think if I was seventy and a professor with a doctorate, it would be a different thing about being respected. But. I just want to be respected for the fact that I've been doing this a really long time and I know what I'm talking about. Yep. And I don't want to have to fight to get my voice heard every single time I say, you know what? Dominion's not a game. Right. Stop arguing with me. It is not a game. I don't want to have to explain yet again why it's not a game. Jim Pinto <laughs> has said it's not a game, and that's really where that conversation should end. And I know that that's arrogant, and there, uh, there's no way around that, but... I get so tired of having to explain every single time why Dominion's not a game. I love it. I love it. Well, definitely don't don't become an academic. Absolutely. Well, uh, another conversation we were kind of having off air, and really I think it, it fits into this as well. And we were even talking with Ed about this just before he left. Was you know the need to love what you're doing. I mean, we're we're talking about designing games here, right? And and. This is this is a privilege. Like this is this is awesome, and uh, when we lose perspective of that, you know, we're we're in trouble. So I'm 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 curious. You know, do you still love making games? What are you guys saying? Do you do you enjoy it? You ask me or Sen? Sen, you you start. Oh, oh yeah, I still love making games. Um, I'm I'm more a thinker. I've always been a thinker. Yep. Uh, so I enjoy that part much more than the rest of it. Yep. So I, I will never be a developer. Never. Right. Um, it's just not in my my makeup to sit and play the same game a hundred times and build you know, I mean other than during the design process, but once I think it's done, yep. um, I have a very big mental block in my head that it's done. Yep. I should, I need to move on to the next thing. Uh, whether that's a mental block or whether that's burning me on to further greatness, I don't know. Um, but it, it's one of the things that I do find difficult uh, with playtesting and repeated playtesting and repeated and repeated playtesting. I would make the worst QA person. The worst. <laughs> right? Because I just couldn't do the same level over and over again. I'm not a grinder. Um, I'm in this to work my brain. That's that's. If my brain doesn't work, I go crazy. So designing games is a way to get the craziness out of my head. And if I was constantly working on the same thing, it would be very difficult for me. Um, which is, and it's another reason why I don't publish. It's because publishing doesn't um, doesn't really push the buttons I need pushed. Right. I, I recognize there's some somewhere in me wants the money. Yeah. The money would be nice. Um, but the time and effort it takes to get that money at the cost of what it's doing to the rest of my creative process would be not worth it. So I've never really thought about it more than <clears throat> what would be the easiest thing to kickstart. That would that would be you know like it's a deck of cards. I might do that one, right? Yeah. If it's got cool art and it's a fun game and you know maybe make a little very small boutique run of it like thousand copies. That's all we're ever making ever. Yeah. I'm destroying anyone that I don't sell. I'm not putting it through distribution. If yeah, I could you, do that, I'd do it. You become the the next. Uh, oh, what? Who did food? Food magnate. Food chain magnet. Splatter. You oh, splatter. Yeah, splatter's like splatter's kind of like that, but a little different. But yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to that: is it good enough question that we have, 
And, and I mean, for people who are listening who don't know where that all came from, it sort of started with Doug and JR's article about, you know, do publishers pass on good games that are finished, and why do they do that? And, you know, a lot of the article was about, well, it doesn't fit our line, um, it doesn't, uh, you know, the theme doesn't resonate with us, it's... You know, we're tight for money, we can't. We have to pass on it. All sorts of good logical reasons why a good game wouldn't get picked up. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of them were like, well, no, I mean, good is not good enough. It has to be great. And so that's where those sorts of questions came up from. Yeah, so, I, I, I think it's really fascinating when you... The more and more I pitch, the more and more I hear a different publisher say it. And, and it'll come out in a few different ways, but each publisher kind of has their thing. So, I mean, if you yep. go to Yellow... Yellow will say, like, we're looking for something great that pops out, that's unusual, and they're looking to catch the next King of Tokyo. Um, so uh, that, that's legitimately what they'll say, or at least have said straight to my face and to other designers. Um, you know, you talk to some other publishers that'll say, you know, um, I need to be able to contribute like, to add my value, so I need to see, you know, can I, can I think of ways that I'm going to make this game better? And to be honest, I really respect that. When a, when a publisher says, you know, I'm passing because this game's good, but I don't see where I would add value, I mean, thank you for being straight. Like, that. that's really appreciated. Um, you know, and then some publishers are looking for, you know, just make sure it's done and make sure it could sell. Yeah, and some publishers, they can't handle the production value of what it would take to make a certain type of game, right? So yeah. there's lots and lots of reasons. And how does that affect us as designers when we're going to pitch to publishers? From a self-publishing view, it's a little different. But from a pitching view, you know, do we cater our games to what publishers, we th what we think they'll pick up? I know we do. Uh, we do think about component count. We, we always write it down. We always try to pare down as many, you know, as few custom dice as possible, that kind of thing. Um, and the other question, I guess, would be... Oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, well, Jim was looking like he wanted to jump yeah, in. Yeah, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, well, um, I, I think this is the cynic in me, but and this is a lot of what I said before, there's a difference between games and product, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you have publishers who just want you to hand them the next ticket to ride. Right. They don't want to take any risks. They just want to copy whatever... and. Asshat was doing this right right after Dominion was big with every single deck builder that it could make because it was a CCG company and it didn't know how to make anything else. Right. It and, was hot. Right. And the belief was that this was printing money. And you saw what happened. Legend of the Five Rings went away because they ignored it because they didn't manage it properly. And I'll, I'll talk trash about that all day long, by the way, if you want me to. But <laughs> they didn't manage it. It was suffering. It was suffering for years, and it was the company Cash Cow. How do you let that happen and let right. that game slip away? That just makes no sense. And so you have people who are chasing a, some dollar somewhere rather than just focusing on making what they like and making it good, right, or making it satisfying. Make that thing mm. and stop worrying about what what you know is going to print money. Rio Grande only makes games that print money. Mayfair only makes games that print money. Fantasy Flight only makes toys that make money. Um, Z-Man Games used to take risks, but now they're owned by some big publisher up there in Canada, and now they only make things that make money. They, these companies aren't taking risks anymore, and so they're just making product. 
And I, I, it's a tough spot for all of us to be in because if we want to design, we need to design something that enriches us. <clears throat> and if we can't make something that's enriching once in a while, then why are we making anything at all? Because anybody can crank out the next ticket to ride. They really can. It's not that difficult. Well, it's a very simple game. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Now, you can't go into it saying, I'm going to make the next ticket to ride. No, no, no. But you it's can a, go in, You yeah. can go in saying, I'm going to make something that has two options in it, and that has three different nodes, and boom, yeah. I'm done. Well, it's so like creating a, creating a pop song. Yeah, there's going yeah, yeah. to be a next pop hit. Yeah, there's yeah, a, there's it, there's some formula at some level to some of these things. Um, <clears throat> oh, my question here here's what it was. Um, so this also is partly spurred on by uh, the Tom Vassell statement that um, you know great games, good games will find a home. In in <clears throat> sort of. Paraphrasing. That's what I say typically, but Tom had a little stronger wording for it. What? No. What do you think? I don't think Vassal would say that. Yeah. Oh, for sure he did. What? You didn't hear what? that? No. There's a whole big stink about it. Yeah, I feel like I know a, a publisher that said that about my game, but I, I don't even think it's true. I, no. Um, no. I think if you define home as small enough, then yes, sure. 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 But um, it. it it goes against everything that I just said, which is that people yeah. are chasing down. No, the I, I think lots of good games are not getting finding homes. I mean, anything I make. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, just going to a company, and I'm going to sign Jim's games and then put a fake name on them, and then sell them <laughs> and sell them for more, and then yeah. prove Genius. the point. Genius, <laughs> it, dude! It's a popularity contest. It really is. Well, you know, some of it. Some, Some of it, it for is. sure is that. I, I think, though, there's just a, a re real reality, too, that we have a very saturated market. Yeah. And there's a lot of games that just don't get picked. I mean, there's a lot of games, too, that, like, someone works on it, they have a passion, they've designed this game, but maybe they don't know how to sell it. Or maybe they don't know how to make it look good. Or even the practical stuff, like Jim was talking about, you know, functionality and making a card, you know, really practical... Um, on on a on on the side of it has to work. Like there are certain rules that you gotta follow. But maybe someone has a great game, but they didn't follow those rules when it came to just assembling right. a card. And because they didn't know that, that no one like either challenged them or they just don't have that connection. That game is totally off the radar. I I would say ninety percent of what I see when people are bringing me games, and you guys probably have a different experience. Ninety percent of what I'm seeing is from people that have never published a game before and don't want to hear your feedback. Because they don't want to compromise their their artistic integrity or whatever it is that they think right. that they have, the very first thing that you're making needs so much help. You're you're not a prodigy. If you think that you're a prodigy <laughs> that's going to make Monopoly from you know out of a stone in the, on a desert island, you're wrong. You you're not. That's not going to happen to you. No. And well, so when I'm coming to you and I'm telling you as a publisher, what you're trying to do is cute and quirky and you're going to sell 100 copies, you should probably listen to me when I say that. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it to be a dick and stop you from designing. I want people designing. I love the idea that there's good games out there and that people are having fun doing this. Yeah, I but it depends on what your end goal is, right? If your end goal yeah. is to sell a game to 100 people, great, you've done it. Yeah, but okay, I have come so Let me paraphrase or let me kind of resituate that statement. What Tom was saying is that 
the I think anyways let me, maybe this is what I'm interpreting it as was that um, Kickstarter like you shouldn't look at the Kickstarter as um, you know a viable viable way of, of judging whether a product is good or not type thing sure more in that vein of things in terms of you know if it's if it's not picked up by a publisher it probably wasn't a good game oh that's more what he was saying whoa Tom, interesting. If it wasn't picked up by a publisher, it was so. So unless so saying the opposite of what I thought you said. Yeah, same. Yeah, well, he's more in saying that unless it was intentional, like someone had a game and they didn't choose to sign it, they decided to publish it themselves on Kickstarter. With that exception clause, everything else on Kickstarter is junk. I don't even know if that's what he's saying. Hmm. But I mean, when you boil it down. I, I think what he's saying is that publishers have an important role in the industry to like vet gatekeepers. And gatekeepers. Yeah, the vetting. Okay. I mean, I do think they have an important role. I don't think they're I, the only role. Yeah. I I think that they have a more vested interest in making sure that there's no competition for what they're doing. I don't think that they're gatekeepers. I think I think they're Mac, more Machiavellian, if anything. Hmm. Interesting. I don't I don't see as many. I don't see as many publishers bogging down games. I see that happening less. Like, scooping up a bunch of games and just holding them. I'm yeah, yeah, no, I don't less. think anybody does that, but I think I think that they don't... I don't know. I think they have a venture's interest if somebody's trying to do something that they know is going to... Yeah, I don't know how to phrase what I'm thinking. I'll have to think on it. Yeah, But it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting... A thinking point that you know, do people do that? Oh, hey, um, here, Randy said, Vassal's Context was paying a lot of money out for an out-of-print game. He argued that if a game was good and worth having, it would come back in print. Okay, thanks, Randy. Oh, uh, the out-of-print argument. Okay, uh, yeah. This, this I can see an argument for, and I would actually say that usually you can. It's pretty safe money if you can see the resale is already. Grown. I mean, just from a flipper perspective, like I have definitely flipped games before. I can I can definitely say that there are certain games that, like, they're just gonna sell if if uh, you reprint them. Just there's just enough hype. Yeah. Okay. So that was the context of it. Thanks, Randy. Um, but I think it, I think it was misinterpreted, obviously, by people like me. <laughs> but uh, other people also interpreted it that way. That you know, is he saying that? You know, if you don't get your game signed, then it's not a good game. And well, if you I mean, use Kickstarter, then you're not, you don't have a good game. It does make an interesting statement about when your game doesn't get demand after it runs out of its print run. Yeah. It's I also mean, interesting It's like interesting on, you know, we were talking about personality and, you know, uh, superstars and rock stars and, yep. you know, hanging on words. And then like, for, I think, that day, if I wasn't mistaken, that's all that was on my Twitter. It was all about what Tom said. Yeah. And the various interpretations, apparently, that I'm mixing up. <laughs> well, you know what also is kind of weird and funny about that that uh, statement is that there are definite examples of games that were around for a couple of years, got no love or little love, and then all of a sudden exploded. So, I mean, how do you how do you explain those? Everything's timing. Everything's timing. Darryl, I know. I like to me, I made a lot of luck. I made 186 years ago. If I'd released it six years ago, yeah, that wouldn't it would have failed. People wouldn't be ready. Yeah, 
and so I a lot of it is timing. It's who you know. It's getting into the right the right people to look at it, the right people to get excited about it. Um, yep. You could have a great game, and you get one naysayer on the in, on the internet who has a big website, and he doesn't like what you've done. Yep. Again, we're back to the popularity contest. But I, I, that I got one. Be person popularity contest. It just becomes a game popularity. Well, here's another question I got for you, Jim, while you're on. I'm sure we got to wrap up soon, but I'm curious. Why um, Why have you never signed with an agent? Me? Yeah. I mean, I you're this prolific designer making tons of games, and you're you're commenting that some of it is is an issue of, uh, you know... I think... Okay. Game association. What, what, what about if you get someone else doing that, that work for you? I That would be great if somebody else wanted to do that work for me. I think um, a lack of self-esteem has probably something to do with that. I don't go out looking for people to to help um, because I probably don't think that I'm worth it um, on some level. I think that that has a big effect on where I see myself in the industry. I don't like talking about myself. I like talking right. about the process. Right. Um, and I've gotten true of many artists. Sure, sure. Uh, James Ernest has no problem talking about himself. <laughs> My statement stands. <laughs> uh, I busted his balls about that before. He has. Uh, he's a pretty confident guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I really just want to be that guy. I've always just wanted to be that guy that's working and doing the work. And if somebody wants to come in, if somebody came in and said, "Jim, I want to represent you," or "Jim, I want to market for you," I would relish that right and I would give them a hundred million dollars to do that as, as a reward if I could um, but I I think going and chasing down an agent just or a helper monkey it just isn't for me it's just it doesn't feel natural for me gotcha. hmm. interesting I know I mean we don't use agents because we actually enjoy the process yeah but I know other our friends don't enjoy the process and they use right. agents yeah. because it's worth it to them. And they get a broader reach in different countries than we do because we never go to those countries. Right. The agent does. So, I mean, there's pros and cons, right? Right. Every well, let's time. hope an agent is watching this and then calls me up tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it's pretty freaking late in Canada. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. this end of Canada. Um, so it's closing on to 1 o'clock. I have to finish a slide deck for closing class. Closing time. So it's closing time. Um, any last questions from the internet? I don't think so. I'm reading the feed here, and everybody seems any to be... Any closing thoughts for you, Jim? When are the three of us going to design a game together? Oh. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, whatever, yeah. man. We'll give it a Let's shot. It. Let's do it. All right. Well, there you what's go. It, what's it going to be about? I don't know. Oh, well, you, think it, you, you have that two-word phrase, and you let us know. Monkey handlers. Monkey handlers. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> no. Game agents, yeah. Um, oh, and Jim, I need to know your. Uh, I'm sending you a challenge right now on uh, on Star Realms. So. I think I'm just Jim Pinto. Just Jim Pinto. I think yeah. I'm. Yeah, I think I'm Jim Pinto on Star Realms. All right, here it goes. Challenging Jim Pinto. Well, there you go. Oh, I lost to somebody else. Damn. <laughs> Man, I I don't know why I play this game so much, but I, st I still. Yeah, you, you guys yeah. play it so much, it cracks me up. Yeah, it's just satisfying. It is. It is satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Perfect ending. Yeah. Perfect ending. All right, guys. We'll see you all later. Thanks very much for watching. Uh, Daryl, do you have any last words? It's just satisfying. Just satisfying. <laughs> it's like all a right. Snickers. Just like a Snickers bar. You're hungry. Snickers is not good for any of this. It's not good for you. Yeah. You're hangry, Sean. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> All right, so if you need to reach us, here we are at Meeple Spirit Syrup on Twitter. Meeple Spirit? Uh, I want to see who makes that. Meeple Spirit. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> MeepleSyrupShow.com on our WordPress website. And if you need us, just email us, info at MeepleSyrupShow.com or send our Daryl at MeepleShow.com. And, of course, YouTube, Facebook, etc., etc. We'll see you guys in seven days. See you later.